This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to the 50th episode of Self Work. I can't really believe it. It's been a great journey so far, so to speak. So I so appreciate you tuning in today. Today, I wanted to do another podcast on one of the topics I'm most passionate about, and that's a concept I call perfectly hidden depression. If you haven't heard me talk about it as of yet, there are several podcast episodes on it, 3, 4, 21, 30, and 31 so far. I wrote a post back in May of 2014, just my normal, ordinary posting, I thought. The title of the post was, The Perfectly Hidden Depressed Person, Are You One? Well, it went viral, at least what was viral for me on my side at that point, almost 2,000 likes or shares. I remember thinking something was wrong with my laptop. I didn't know what was happening. But I have since researched and talked about depression and how it's different from perfectly hidden depression, meaning that there are people who are experiencing symptoms of depression but have trained themselves or were trained to hide emotion, to way over-compartmentalize pain, pretend it doesn't exist, or deny that it exists, better term than pretend, and that this way of life has become so normal, quote-unquote, that the depression that lies underneath is never addressed. People don't even have words to express any kind of trauma or pain. These are men and women. In the podcast I mentioned, one of them is called Nine Paths to Perfectly Hidden Depression, and I talk about how this particular syndrome is created. So if you're interested, maybe you can catch up by listening to some of those podcasts. But one of the things that people have asked me is that it just feels like perfectly hidden depression is me. It's the way I do things. It's my personality. So today we're going to talk a little bit about personality assessment. There's several different ones. We'll mention a couple. And then I'll let you hear this question from a listener, and we'll talk about what makes perfectly hidden depression real. And then the email from a listener today on the same topic of perfectly hidden depression is from a man who found himself in my writing and wanted to thank me as well as give a couple of comments. So on this 50th episode of Self Work, come along with me as we explore perfectly hidden depression. You know, what is your personality? It's you. It's what people talk about when they mention you. They say things like, she's such fun, or gosh, he's a go-getter, or she's more the quiet type. How does your personality develop? It's a mixture of your genetic makeup, what you receive or don't receive from your family and childhood, what kind of safety and nurturing that family provided, what your experiences of your culture and the world around you during childhood or after childhood. All of that makes you, you. And we love to try to identify and understand what makes us tick. 
There are all kinds of tests that you can take to assess your personality, that you will get this description of who you are or what makes you mad, what triggers you, what gives you stress. I've included a link in the show notes of the 10 most popular personality tests, the Enneagram, the Berkman, which I hear a lot of people take in corporations because it is about how you react to stress. So, of course, corporations are very interested in that. So you might want to take some of these and get a sense of how that particular inventory might describe you. But the most popular one is called the Myers-Briggs Personality Inventory. It's very easy to understand and kind of fun to look at your personality. I will note, however, that the Myers-Briggs test is not really very well validated empirically, but it is very popular. It's based on the work of an early psychiatrist named Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. So the Myers-Briggs evaluates four dimensions of psychological functioning, sensation, intuition, feeling, and thinking. The theory goes that each of us has a primary preference for one of those things, sensing, intuiting, feeling, and thinking. And that preference strongly influences how we see the world. For example, is your focus on your outer world or your inner world? That would indicate where you are on the extroversion-introversion spectrum. How do you like to process information? Is your focus on facts? What was that old show, Just the Facts, (laughs) Ma'am? Or do you tend to interpret meaning to those facts? When you make decisions, do you tend to be very logical and consistent? Or do you consider more personal, unique circumstances when you're, again, trying to make a choice? And lastly, are you more decisive in your approach? Or do you like to stay more open? You can handle more ambiguity. So as you answer these questions, you're given a score And they describe you on four scales. Again, this is the Myers-Briggs. Introversion versus extroversion. Sensing versus intuition. Thinking versus feeling. And judging versus perceiving. So E-I-S-N-T-F-J-P. You know, the first letters of all those. So you could be an ESTJ or an INFP or an ENFJ, or an ISTP, and then the Myers-Briggs gives you a description of how you are likely to be described, to make choices, to live your life. It's kind of interesting. In graduate school, there were nine of us in my class, and we took the Myers-Briggs and then tried to guess who was who. You know, who was the ESTJ, or who was the ISTP? And everybody thought I was very extroverted, and that's how I would be assessed, but they were wrong. I'm actually more introverted. So this is an interesting discussion, but what does it have to do with what I've termed perfectly hidden depression? I received an email from a woman who had scored high on my questionnaire for perfectly hidden depression, which, by the way, is either in episode three or four. I think it's in episode three. So here's her email. Several years ago, I took the Myers-Briggs personality test and What it said lines up a lot with perfectly hidden depression. I got INFJ on three separate occasions, which is described as caring immensely about the needs of others, sometimes to the detriment of self, avoiding conflict, being a caregiver, and an introvert that appears to be an extrovert. Could it be that I'm just an INFJ, but not PhD, perfectly hidden depression? Did PhD 
turn me into an INFJ? <laughs> Am I overthinking this? I love that last question. <laughs> this whole question is actually a great one. Many people have written to me about perfectly hidden depression prior to my getting this email, asking questions not necessarily about the Myers-Briggs, but rather, how do I know if it's depression or not? It's just the way I am. Or, if I can act okay, am I really depressed? But there's one thing that I think people are getting hung up on. Again, perfectly hidden depression isn't a diagnosis. It's not a disorder in and of itself. It's a syndrome. And what a syndrome is, is a set of behaviors that are likely to fall together. By identifying the term or the label perfectly hidden depression, I've tried to describe a persona that can be self-destructive if carried too far. There's a huge potential for suicidal thinking lurking underneath the surface. So you can call it a personality type, and perhaps someone who scores an INFJ shares basic characteristics of perfectly hidden depression. Someone who's empathic, focused on others' welfare, probably more introspective, although looking outwardly extroverted, someone who's decisive, and a leader. My concern is that depression can be found underneath this particular way of being because there's underlying shame. Because this way of being isn't a choice but a way of avoiding painful emotion. There's a line that's crossed, perhaps subtle at first, but it's definitely crossed. I do have an answer for people who will ask me, well, isn't this just high-functioning depression or isn't this smiling depression? And my answer is, yes, sometimes, except high-functioning depressed people may actually realize they're depressed. And I don't really care what we call it, If my term somehow catches on or people respond to it, what I care about instead is that people are killing themselves at record numbers, and we've got to understand why. So if someone responds to the term perfectly hidden depression and realizes what they're doing and then can make some changes, that's what I care about. So how do you know if you're crossing the line between more normal functioning just not being someone who shares a lot, and perfectly hidden depression. When does, for example, not liking conflict become avoiding personal conflict at all costs or not knowing where your own boundaries are? What's the line between focusing on the well-being of others and shutting down any personal painful emotion? When does putting others first become terrible self-care, not knowing how to accept help from others, and leading to emptiness and loneliness? When does being action-oriented become rigidly defining yourself by what you accomplish? It's a matter of degree. It's very rewarding to be a helper, to love well, and to put the needs of others first. All the INFJs out there are doing just that good for you. Yet it can become a way to erect a barrier between yourself and others, to hide from or try to pretend that whatever shame and self-doubt you pummel yourself with doesn't exist, at least for the moment that your focus is on someone else. But it can be there waiting for you. When you're alone, when you're in the shower, when you're trying to go to sleep, it's right there. I've interviewed about 50 people 
who had responded to some of my early writing about perfectly hidden depression. And one of those women said, if I let people know the real me, no one would see me as competent anymore. No one would ask for my help. I would lose everything. She luckily was beginning to challenge those thoughts. But that can be a strong fear that if someone knows that you struggle with something, that they'll no longer see you as empowered or valuable or competent. I'm obviously trying to live this out myself because if you've been a listener for a while, I talk about my own struggles, not in order to engender some kind of anyone feeling sorry for me. It's simply that I'm trying to live the way I'm suggesting is healthy. So when this interviewee told me what she was struggling with, she also said that she was trying to challenge that thinking. And you can as well. You can risk feeling a full range of emotion, joy and sorrow, contentment and hurt, laughter and tears. You can be you and simply be all of you. So today's email from a listener follows this very thinking on perfectly hidden depression. He says, I was completely stunned by your article on classic versus perfectly hidden depression. I lived the first half of my life with perfectly hidden depression, hidden so well that I elected a career as a clinical social worker. However, after several midlife events that triggered early childhood trauma, I completely fell apart. I am now on welfare due to my classic depression and PTSD, and some days I struggle to even get out of bed. It amazes me how hard I worked as an adolescent and young adult to thrive and do any and everything to hide my demons. It saddens me today that years of suppression led to an emotional implosion that I fear has damaged my chance of productive living, and I'm only 50 years old. I urge others to talk about their depression, identify symptoms and triggers early on in life. I believe if I had treated my emotions as a young adult, that I might be living a very successful life today. Thank you for your poignant insight. It's much appreciated. He uses the term suppression, which simply means that you push feelings away, actually even push them out of your consciousness. You suppress them. I was very touched by this email. I responded, Your words are appreciated, and I'm glad that you found the article helpful. In fact, it's stories like yours that continue to motivate me to write. I wondered if you tried anything like EMDR as a treatment option, as I've found it very helpful in many cases. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy and involves something called bilateral stimulation. It's a very different kind of therapy, but it's been shown to be quite good with trauma. Also, there's a new treatment for depression that's resistant to other modes of treatment. It's called transcranial magnetic stimulation. I've had one patient try it, and it has helped her tremendously with extremely entrenched depression. It's now available in outpatient settings. I realize that as you're on welfare, you may likely have Medicaid, and I don't know about their coverage. But EMDR, for example, is not any more expensive than other therapy, and because it's very focused, it can be much more brief. Don't forget that many free health centers or community centers offer mental health services and therapy for free or for a minimal charge. 
I guess I reacted to his email by being sad for him that he felt that he could do nothing about his symptoms, so I was trying to give him some other ideas. Yet his comments very dramatically illustrate what I'm trying to say, that it's important to not allow these kinds of emotions to remain suppressed because they are doing damage. So, I hope that his particular email is motivating for you to get whatever help you need or to have understanding for yourself. Thanks so much for joining me here today on Self Work. We'll go for episode 51 next week. I'm excited about what the next 50 episodes hold. We're going to be starting interviews both here in Northwest Arkansas, live interviews and Skype interviews. And I've got so many people that I want to introduce you to who are doing great work in the field of mental health. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I will answer you and your email will remain confidential. If you don't want it used on the air, just simply tell me and I won't use it. I certainly change everything up a great deal so no one's identity can be known. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com and if you subscribe there, you'll get a weekly newsletter with both my podcast as well as a blog post included in it. And that's it, I promise. Nothing else. If you're looking for a stocking stuffer, I have a little gift book called Marriage is Not for Chickens. It's $9.95 on Amazon. It's based on a post that I wrote two or three years ago that was featured in the Huffington Post. Got 200,000 likes and 53,000 shares. It did pretty well. (laughs) So I decided to turn it into a little gift book. To me, it's a perfect thank you to the person who is sharing their life with you or is about to share their life with you. And of course, I would love it if you subscribe here on the podcast. That really lets me know that people are looking forward to whatever is next. I do try to diversify these podcasts pretty much. So if this particular episode doesn't float your boat, maybe the next one will. And certainly you can email what you'd like to hear about. Some of my podcasts have been based on that kind of feedback from listeners. So thank you today for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.